When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. She convinced the editor that she was the woman to try to get herself committed to Blackwell's insane asylum for women and report on the conditions there. And she spent 10 days there and she uncovered, you know, rotten food and freezing cold bedrooms and perhaps most dismayingly the fact that a lot of the women didn't even seem to her to be mentally ill. They were just kind of shoved there because they were poor or sick or they didn't speak English or didn't have relatives to look after them. That is writer Kim Todd describing the exploits of one of the most famous journalists of all time, Nellie Bly. Working mainly in the 1880s and 90s, Bly was called a girl reporter, but her exposés were serious and shocking. They were also incredibly popular and spurred much-needed reforms. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Kim Todd has written a new book, Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters. It looks at the women who made headlines and history in the late 19th and early 20th century. At a time when most women were restricted to menial, low-paying jobs, these journalists went undercover to expose corruption and abuse. Along the way, they expanded the notion of what was possible for women. Nellie Bly is the best remembered of these, and with good reason. Listen and learn why Nellie Bly is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm delighted to be here today with writer Kim Todd, uh, and her latest book is Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters. Uh, And we're going to be talking specifically about Nellie Bly. So welcome, Kim. Thank you. So glad to be here. Nellie is one of the key figures uh, in your book. 
And maybe we could start by your telling us a little bit about why we should remember the name Nellie Bly. Yeah. So Nellie Bly was a pioneering investigative reporter. She got her start in the late 1880s, and she did the bulk of her work in the 1890s, though she continued writing and reporting through World War I. Um, And she was an innovator in a number of ways, including her techniques. So she often disguised herself to catch employers mistreating their employees, for example, or politicians taking bribes. Um, And she also had a really irresistible writing style that created vivid scenes and characters. So her work was not only very valuable, you know, in terms of what was going on in society, but also very in demand because readers just loved it. Um, And one of the things that I learned over the course of writing the book is how much she wasn't only admired in her day, but she's still very much an inspiration for present day journalists. She sounds like a very gutsy woman. Indeed. So what were conditions like um, back when she was doing her investigative work? Uh, What were they like for for working women, for example? Did they have many career options? Yeah. So it was really hard for a woman to find a job in the 1880s, particularly well-paying, meaningful work. Um, When Nellie Bly got her start in the middle of the decade, the country was recovering from a recession and a bank panic. Um, and Bly's experience like really reveals what working what life was like for working women at the time. Um, at first, you know, when she was a teenager, she thought she would be a teacher, but her family didn't have money needed to send her to a teacher's college. Um, and most of the jobs open to a woman like her was work in textile mills or as a servant. And even those were really hard to get. Um, Professional jobs like a doctor or a lawyer was only just becoming possible for very few women um, and not for for someone with Bly's skimpy education, certainly. Um, And she got her start because she wrote a letter to the local newspaper, the Pittsburgh Dispatch, suggesting that more fields should be open to women. And that letter led to her first reporting job. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. And then she had her first big assignment, which was 10 Days in a Madhouse. Uh, which was a, a six-part series, as I understand, uh, that she published about her experiences in what was then known uh, as an insane asylum. Now, how did this assignment come about? And maybe the bigger question is, how did she ever pull it off? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So after working at the dispatch for a while, Bly decided that she was going to try her luck in New York City, where really the most exciting journalism of the day was happening. She managed to talk her way into a job interview at The World, which was the paper owned by Joseph Pulitzer and really the paper that everyone wanted to be working for. And she convinced the editor that she was the woman to try to get herself committed to Blackwell's Insane Asylum for Women and report on the conditions there. There was lots of rumors swirling around and had been for years and years that um, things were really terrible. So she started her reporting by going to a building that rented housing to working women and just acting kind of odd and disconnected from reality. Um, And finally, so much so that the matron called the police and eventually she was declared insane and sent to Blackwell's Island. And she spent 10 days there and she uncovered, you know, rotten food and freezing cold bedrooms, and perhaps most dismayingly, the fact that a lot of the women didn't even seem to her to be mentally ill. They were just kind of 
shoved there because they were poor or sick or they didn't speak English or didn't have relatives to look after them. What an undercover operation. Yeah. So I'm sure this must have had impact in terms of mental health treatment and perhaps in terms of career uh, opportunities as in investigative journalism. Yeah, it had a huge impact in a number of ways. Um, First, it convinced the board that was in charge of it to earmark more money for the asylum um, and to improve the food and also to hire more female staff. Um, I think in an environment like that where you have, um, you know, women without a lot of freedom being overseen mostly by men, it's really ripe for abuse. And she was aware of that. Um, And second... So the the combination of her really accessible writing style, which I described, and these explosive revelations about what was going on in the asylum sold a lot of newspapers. So it really did create a lot of opportunity and launched a decade of amazing investigative journalism, particularly by women, about issues like factory conditions and treatment at public hospitals that affected women specifically. And at the same time, you had a lot of social impact work going on more broadly that I'm sure this uh, really supported in some ways. Yeah, it was interesting the way that it it fed really into a lot of the goals of the progressive era. Um, A lot of progressive era reformers were doing work on the same issues that these reporters were working on, you know, substandard housing, um, the tenements, which were really fire hazards. Um, again, you know, conditions in the factories, um, conditions of the poor, child labor. So they were really working in tandem. And some of the reporters kind of went on to become activists, actually. They got their start in journalism and then really became captivated by the issues that they were writing about. It's so fascinating to sort of learn how all of these things came together. So let's let's go back a, just a little bit, and that is to her name, Nellie Bly. That wasn't her real name, was it? No, no. Her real name was Elizabeth Cochran. Um, and when she was a reporter at the Pittsburgh Dispatch, she started writing under the name Nellie Bly. And that was a character in a song by Stephen Foster, who was a Pittsburgh artist. Um, at the time that she started writing, which is really different than today, most newspaper articles were written without any byline at all. Um, and if they did have a name attached, it was often a pseudonym, something like Nellie Bly. Um, and this could be really a, a double-edged sword for women writers in particular. On one hand, it allowed them a shield if they were going to write about something maybe not considered quite respectable that might um, come back and people might want to criticize them for going into a certain place or asking a certain kind of bold question. Um, but it could also make it really hard to establish a career, particularly if they wrote under a lot of different names. Um, in Bly's case, her name really quickly became a potent brand, um, and she used it throughout her life, even you know decades later, signing her letters Nellie Bly. That too is fascinating about her and her times, I might add. So she was obviously quite expert in, in the field that she was developing uh, as an investigative journalist. But another accomplishment of hers was the record she sent by traveling around the world in 72 days, which was inspired by Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. So tell us about this. And again, I guess the key question is, how did she manage to do this? Well, that's also a great question. 
So Bly said that she proposed the idea to the editors at The World, um, and they originally put her off saying that they wanted a man to do it to try to break that fictional record um, because he wouldn't need a chaperone. But the editor's mind changed sometime around November of 1889, and she got the nod. And she set off with no chaperone, just herself and a small little bag with a few changes of clothes in it um, on a ship from the U.S. to Europe. And sensing the public interest, Cosmopolitan magazine then sent their own reporter, Elizabeth Bisland, around the world in the other direction. So she got on a train to San Francisco and attempted to beat not just Jules Verne's hero, but Nellie Bly. Um, and the world and Cosmopolitan has capitalized on all this excitement generated by the race. And they had contests to guess the winning time and lots of illustrated articles and maps about where the women were. Um, and when Bly arrived back in New Jersey 72 days later, it was really seen as a triumph for like American women as a whole that she traveled so far by herself. Um, and that she seemed to have a pretty good time, as Bly always did. <laughs> she managed to convey the impression that, that she was having a lot of fun. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The story about her her travels, did she keep a journal? Did she write about it? Did she re report from the trip? How did it work, if at all? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So she couldn't do that much like reporting in terms of writing full articles while she was on the road. She kind of checked in with telegrams. Um, and when she 
was done and she came back, she wrote a book about it. Um, but one of the things that she said when she, um, when reporters were interviewing her is I think that one of the things about this stunt in particular was that she was a little more written about than being the writer. And she was a little bit frustrated by that, right? So she was generating articles for all these other reporters who were reporting on what she was doing. But I think she really missed the aspect of being the primary writer. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of others were were uh, getting their own visibility from being able to write about her. Yes, yes, definitely. So as a as a journalist, she pioneered techniques copied by both men and women in the profession, stunt reporting, uh, which is in the title of your book, and undercover investigations, of course. Do you think journalists would be allowed to use those techniques today? Yeah. So what was termed stunts in the 1890s? happens all the time today and is just usually termed, you know, human interest stories. Or you have, you know, entire books of literary nonfiction where an author lives under certain conditions for a certain amount of time to experience what it might be like and makes themselves the main character. So that was really one of the hallmarks of that kind of stunt journalism. Um, But in terms of undercover reporting, so right after the decade of the stunt reporting reporters, journalism professionalized very consciously and they started, you know, formal education tracks and journalism schools and codes of ethics. And undercover reporting, especially where a person's giving a fake name or lies about their reason for being there, um, was one of the things that became frowned upon by more traditional news outlets, um, unless there was a compelling reason for a disguise or it was information that couldn't be discovered any other way. So that kind of allows an exception there. Um, But it's really hard to maintain those boundaries um, when everyone has a recording device in their pocket, as is true these days. That, too, is interesting in terms of how far we've come. And in that category, of course, uh, there are many, many more women reporters today uh, and many very brave and courageous uh, women in journalism. Do you have any favorites in terms of those who might be carrying on um, the best parts of Nellie Bly's legacy? Yes. Well, of course, as you point out, there are so, so many women doing brave and amazing work these days, Um, but several particularly come to mind. So certainly it's a little bit older, but Barbara Ehrenreich's book, Nickeled and Dimed on Not Getting By in America. Um, In that book, she works for a year at various jobs as a waitress or on the floor at Walmart um, to see whether she could pay her bills on minimum wage. And the answer is pretty definitively that she can't. Um, And another one that comes to mind is the New York Times series about the low wages and poor working conditions of nail salon employees that was written by um, Sarah Maslin-Near. And both of these really highlight conditions faced by working women, which was something that Nellie Bly and the stunt reporters sort of working in her wake um, were very focused on. Um, And some of the things that they reveal are really similar to the conditions in the 1890s, sadly. Um, Another reporter who comes to mind doing very brave undercover work is uh, Suki Kim, who went undercover as a teacher in North Korea for her book, Without You, There's No Us. Um, It was just this incredibly dangerous assignment that revealed the grim lives of even the most privileged North Korean citizens. So really, really pretty amazing work, very much in the Bly vein. And of course, it's some of that same kind of journalism today 
that exposes um, comparable conditions in our own days. It's really a, a fascinating world that's been opened up in this way. And to think of Nellie's role in all of this. And I know you're a writer, of course. What personally inspires you about Nellie? Yeah, so many things. I mean, um, I'm sort of a bit of a coward myself. So I'm very inspired by her physical bravery, you know, just putting her body in situations where she might be potentially injured um, or have to go to jail or, um, you know, just really suffer in a, in a physical, physical real way. Um, I'm also really inspired by her ambition. And I always have been, you know, even when she was like a really young woman um, in, you know, Western Pennsylvania with very few prospects in life, she always really had a sense of her own worth. So when the Pittsburgh Dispatch, her first job, you know, assigned her to writing these women's page stories that she found kind of trivial and boring, she left and she went to New York to get a better job. And then when, you know, she couldn't find a job in New York at first, she came up with an assignment that required her to interview editors of all the major papers. And that was, you know, how she got her first in. Um, when eventually she felt like Pilitra's the world wasn't paying her enough, she quit, you know, and she said, I have a certain amount of value and, and you're not recognizing that value, you know, and her drive took her all the way around the world, um, which is quite a feat in those days or our days or any days. You know, it was quite a feat and it's, it's fascinating to hear. And I think in many ways, as you're talking, that she's a woman of our times, even though she was ahead of her times, because much of her legacy seems to be continuing in, in ways here in 2021. I know that you've got this new book, Sensational, that the Nellie Bly story is, is part of, and you're going to be doing a series of virtual events to tell the world about it. Tell us about the book a little bit and how listeners can get involved in knowing more. Yes. so. The book is really, it opens with Nellie Bly and her story, but it's really about the decade of women journalists who walked through that door of opportunity that she opened in the decade following her asylum expose. So it talks about reporters like Eva McDonald. It talks about reporters like Nell Nelson. Um, it talks about reporters like Elizabeth Jordan, who really... Um, Sometimes they were doing undercover work, sometimes they were doing stunts, but they were really taking advantage of the opportunities which suddenly opened for women in the newsroom. Um, it also talks about female reporters like Ida B. Wells and Victoria Earl Matthews, who weren't doing stunts, but were really pushing the boundaries of investigative reporting in other ways at exactly the same time. Um, and I have done a number of events already, and I have some more coming up this summer. I have a presentation at the Smithsonian on July 15th um, and another at the Fort Worth Public Library on August 25th. Um, and there's more information about those events and the book in general at my website, which is www.kimtodd.net. Fantastic. And may it be a bestseller. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here speaking with writer Kim Todd, the author. A Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Girl Stunt Reporters. This is just fascinating, and I'm sure the book is a great, great read. Thank you so much, Kim, and all the best. Thank you. What a life, and what a legacy. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, 
Let's remember Nellie not only as a bold journalist, but as a pioneer of investigative reporting. The techniques she developed in the late 19th century laid the groundwork for the great reporters, both male and female, who are working today. Second, Nellie Bly's exposés remind us how easily power can be abused. She uncovered deplorable conditions in an insane asylum for women, conditions that existed because the women there had no voice or freedom. Her reporting was in line with the great progressive movements of her day, the crusades against sweatshops and dangerous factories and child labor. Finally, Nellie Bly knew her worth. When she believed a job wasn't paying her enough, she quit. And as Kim Todd says, her fight to be recognized for her true value took her all the way around the world. Tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.